Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have my friend Cliff Gray of Flat Tops Wilderness Guides. Cliff, how you doing? I haven't talked to you in a while. All good. Uh, I've been busy as you have, but I appreciate uh, getting back on with you. Yeah, I, I um, need to get you down there on a Gould's turkey hunt. That's That's probably at the top of your list. <laughs> it actually is. Um, you know, I only, I only got a couple. I, you know, my wife Amy You're had so a tag full here. Of bull. <laughs> it is, man. I'm, I'm, I'm up for it. I got the, I got the bug back because you know Amy had a tag, and I only had yeah. like two days before I went to Canada this last month to How hunt was with it? her. I forgot about that. Uh, it was, tag. Uh, it was, it was good. She, she didn't end up getting one, but you know, Amy, Amy hasn't done a whole lot of hunting, so. We uh, we kind of worked through a little bit of that stuff, but she she had a good time. Uh, we needed just a couple more days to kind of get it get it figured out. But you know, I hunted. Were I hunted there birds around? Lot. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's weird because they only move in to the area that we were hunting. Like kind of like I I didn't see any until like a week and a half before the season. Then all they all of a sudden they showed up where I had planned on hunting, which was great. So it worked out. Um, but yeah, we we played around with several. You know, all the the both days. You know, unfortunately, because we have the little bitty uh, kiddo uh, Wyatt, um, it's hard. You know, we have to get a babysitter to go hunting on her tag. You know, so we actually just hunted in the afternoons. And what we ran into is just every time we we got in the turkeys every day, but they were just all hinned up the whole time. So we had some fun and had some interaction with turkeys that just never. Never got, like, the perfect opportunity for her. But I hunted a lot of them, you know, in my teenage years. And in college, I had some opportunities to go places. So uh, I got the bug back. I'll, I'll take you up on it. <laughs> right on, man. Sounds good. So um, let's see. The last time I talked to you, you had just kind of finished doing some out-ad hunts. Um, and then you were – I was – in Colorado in March and then turkey season, and then you were going to head to um, off on your bear trips. Um, tell me a little bit about that, how it went, um, you know, how was the, how was it up there this year? Where were you, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Just. Yeah, 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 no, I can zip through it because it was kind of a, uh, it was a whirlwind uh, May. I came back, I think, on June 4th, and what I did was I went up, I stayed uh, two weeks uh, in the in the in a southern area that I work with a guy there that would be just uh, south of Lillooet, and then after that, I spent a few days with with a mutual friend I know that we have uh, Ben Storek there who bought an area, so I hung out with him for a couple days. Um, I've been working with Ben on a few things, and then um, towards the end of the month, I headed north of Prince George uh, with a guy that I've worked on a bunch of bear hunts up there. So all super different areas. I would say, like, generally, um, the season was great. I think in terms of, you know, how, you know, all the hunts that I was either there for or booked for guys or was involved with, I think I did, like, 26 hunts, and we killed somewhere around, like, 25 bears. Um, so overall, it was a great, great season. There were we, uh, quite a few guys actually killed two bears. And then there were, a, there were, you know, a handful of guys that didn't kill, kill bears. And we did have a couple weeks that were tough. One, one week in particular, our week and a half area, time frame that was tough in one of the areas. 
um, probably the toughest I've seen it. And then on the other spectrum of that, in the northern area, the last week I was there, I've never, I've never seen it any better than that. And I can't imagine actually it being better than that. I, I think as a group of hunters, it was a corporate group I took up there of six guys. I mean, I think we were seeing across the board, if you collected everybody, um, probably 30 bears a day amongst the group. So it doesn't get any so better than that. So how does a hunt like that. that work? Like, how, how does it work? I mean, is it glassing all day? Is it sitting bait? Is it, how, how, do you, how do you do this? Yeah, so in, in BC, there, uh, baiting bears isn't allowed. Um, fortunately, for, for two reasons, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. Um, because the the country there is pretty conducive to spot and stock hunts, and that's all that we do up there. Um, and those spot and stock hunts are in the south, where or let's say like in the coastal mountain range, where um, I, I, I do. There's two different areas that I that I hunt with guys. The one area is very much like kind of more natural habitat. You'll hunt snow slides in May. Um, you know, if, if that's you can glass that country pretty easily, get across from it and just glass all those natural snow slides. They tend to green up first, right? Once the snow comes off those, or comes off even just the edges of a snow slide and the sun starts hitting them, that's like your first green grass and those bears will hit that. So that's what you're primarily doing is glassing bears up on those slides. Um, and then, so there a fair amount of BC is like that. But the majority of spot and stock in British Columbia is based on logging activity. So you're still glassing, um, but you're glassing logging infrastructure, basically roads. And those roads, what they do is they, when they, <clears throat> when they put them in, they're not any good for bears when they first put them in. There's no vegetation on them. But after a couple of years, your shoulders come in with really thick grass. And what will happen is those bears will, it's, it's almost like baiting in a sense because I mean, you're talking about huge swaths of timber in British Columbia, and all the bears that inhabit that stuff come to those roads um, because that, that's the first green grass that comes up because of the exposure. And so there's kind of on those roads, a lot of times you'll get where you can glass switchbacks, right? You can glass across a canyon, and you're glassing a logging road that's got a bunch of grass on it, and you'll, you're trying to catch bears on it, and then you can, you can get on them. Those situations are really... Uh, really conducive to bow hunting because the roads, if you can get your wind right, hunting them on a logging road is is the best way to do it. They're a little bit tougher on a on a big steep snow slide or something like that. Um, so you have those two uh, areas you'll find them in, and then the other area, um, and this is kind of what most people think about, but it really only equates to probably a quarter of your hunting, and that's just glassing. They call them cut blocks in the U.S. Most people call them clear cuts. But basically clear cuts that are, say, you know, somewhere in the three-year-plus uh, age where, like, the undergrowth has come back, some green grass, but also just the other uh, type of vegetation has come back. So you can still, you can still glass bears up in it, um, but it's not so thick that you can't see them anymore. So that's primarily the types of areas you hunt. It's, it varies more, like, if you go further north, so like once you get to Prince George area and above, which is not, I guess I'll kind of go back, Jay, like when you think about the, the areas that BC is known for in terms of big black bears, 
Vancouver Island is going to be the most well-known, right? The most expensive hunts. They got the highest bear density, all, all those components. Um, there, it's the same thing. You're either going to, some of those guys operate out of boats and they're actually hunting, you know, coastal, co coastal habitat. But a lot of the Vancouver Island hunts are still on logging infrastructure. You know, they're hunting logging roads, uh, cut blocks, the same deal. When you go into the coastal mountains, it don't, it's really the same kind of topography, except for they don't have as much really the ocean component hunts, right? Once you go north, and those are the areas that everybody knows when they think about big BC black bears. Once you go north, um, like let's say you go all the way to Prince George, which is really like, I don't know, it's not quite two-thirds the way north in, in British Columbia. Up there, the topography is not as intense. It obviously doesn't feel, it doesn't feel coastal. They've got longer winters there, all that. But they have really intense logging activity in some areas, and that's, that's created like some pretty fantastic bear habitat, and it's created a huge, even though the bears there don't grow as fast as the coastal bears, just because there's so much density, if you, if you, like I, the guys that I work with up there are guys that are really specific about how many bears they kill, because those bears, are, those populations up there are going to be much more susceptible to harvest because the bears grow slower, because, I mean, that's, you're talking like very, you know, way high north, but if you get into areas that haven't been overhunted on the bear front, you can kill just as big a bears, see just as just as many, if not more, bears in that country. And the reason is, is because it's just, they've kind of created an abnormal ecosystem because of the intense amount of logging activity. And the reason that logging activity has occurred is they have pine beetle really bad in that country. So for better or worse, they've given the logging companies kind of a blank check to go in there and really, really cut a lot of timber, and that's opened up a lot of bear habitat. Um, does that give you kind of a feel for it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm looking at your Instagram page. Encourage the listeners to check check it out. It's Cliff Gray, but it's G R Y with no A, so it's Cliff Gray. Um, and yeah, I'm looking the, at the picture here. You'll... <laughs> Leave the A out. You'll you'll find Cliff Gray, uh, otherwise <laughs> known as my friend that went to Stanford. Um, <laughs> there's a picture here with. I mean, it looks like, what is that, nine bears, and then you say it, it happened in four days, four yeah, so days, and there's just, just slayed them. Yeah, so that's the, last, that's the last group we took, a corporate group of guys, uh, really good guys, um, but they were How short on time. Like, bears? So, yeah, that's the thing is in that picture, so that there's nine bears there, there's two bears uh, legitimate over seven foot, which is a huge, huge black bear. It doesn't matter where you're at. That's huge. Um, and then I think other than one of the other bears, one of the color phase bears was under six foot. Every other bear in those pictures is between six and seven, three or seven, four. So um, that there's not, not, you're not going to get better quality than that. I, and that was what happened on that group was they were tight on time, as a lot of business guys are. So usually they're six-day hunts. We stuck it into four days. Um, they all killed bears, and two of the guys killed two bears. And, and we had several others. We had some opportunities that were missed, stuff like that. But, yeah, when it's, when it's good, it's good. But that was, 
that was ba basically a virgin area. It hadn't been hunted. It hunted very little in the last decade. Man. And that's, so, that's why you get an area like that and the bears can be huge. And getting, that, you're getting back to your question, probably some of those bears in those pictures might be 15-plus years old. You know, that's what people wow. don't understand. It, do, it does take time, you know, like, because I've seen it in areas. I mean, now I've spent enough time there, and I've been there over, over you know, time frames. Like, you, if, you start, if you start getting in the areas, and this, is in, this includes Vancouver Island from, you know, I'm not a, I haven't spent a lot of time on Vancouver Island, so I can't, get, I can't be, you know, I don't have, like, the, the background in it to tell you this is 100% true. But anecdotally, in a lot of the research I've done with guys, is even on coastal areas where the 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 bears reproduce quicker, they grow faster. If the bear if bears are overhunted, you're still going to have them there if there's habitat. But it takes a few years to grow the big big bears. And then as you go as you go to like a little less perfect habitat, it becomes way more important how much pressure is on them, right? I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's probably why, you know, honestly, areas like Idaho and, you know, some of these other western states don't produce real big bears. I mean, it's really, ex I mean, they, they generally produce, you know, uh, uh, like a couple, like really when you look, if you guys are truly square in bears and stuff in western states, it's really rare that guys are killing bigger than five and a half, six foot bears. It just is. And that's because and explain that not, explain how they how they measure them. Yeah, so explain how how they they get that squared. Like, where do they measure from? Yeah, so uh, on the measuring thing, they, there's two metrics guys use, right? They measure skull and then they measure hides. All the scoring guys like Pope and Young, Boone and Crockett, SEI, they're going to use skull. Really, the only reason skull is used is because it's the only thing that can be reliably measured right, um, from the animal. So, so those systems, but the reality is one of those hunting, deals like when we, when we go fishing, um, my 22-inch fish is always going to be bigger than your 16-inch fish, but it just depends on who measures it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a component of that. But I think the thing about it is, is yeah, I mean, the, on the, all the organizations that score, it's always on skull. Anybody who's right. a big bear hunter, to be honest with you, Jay, um, really wants big hides. That's, that's the reality, okay. right? That's what people have in the house. That's what people see. So, like, when okay. you really talk to most bear guides and guys that do a lot of bear hunting, they're really more interested in squared hides. And what a, when I say squared, what it is, you lay the hide out, you know, after – you know, after the bear's been fully skinned, and you're going to go toe-to-tail is one measure, measurement, and then tip of the front paw on the left side to tip of the front paw on the right side, that's your second measurement, and you're going to average those two, and that's your squared number. And okay. the reason that, pe so, the reason so that people... So that can get skewed real quick depending on who's measuring it. So you hear, oh, yeah, there's seven-and-a-half-foot bears, and that's... Sometimes they're six and a half, right? Well, yeah. So if, if guys, so what happens um, is guys don't actually square the bears. Guys will lay the hide down and they'll they'll stretch it toe to or nose to tail, right? 
and they'll say, well, this is, a, this is an eight-foot black bear. Well, the, the problem is, is that then when you, you measure across the bear, it's only five foot because you've stretched it, right? So when you right. square a bear, you lay it out, and you do the two measurements, but you don't touch the hide in between. So it's, if you're truly squaring a bear, it stops, it, it kind of mitigates a lot of the manipulation of stretching the hide one way. Does that make sense? Gotcha. Be yeah. Yeah, so that, yeah, the, sure. problem is, is the problem is, particularly in the States, guys don't square the bears. What they do is they pull them as taunt as they can, nose to tail, and they're saying they're killing seven-foot bears, and it's really, it's really a five-and-a-half-foot bear. Um, is it, does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. And so, in I'm not a bear hunter. Um, I do have some questions because we got quite a few bears on the Ot Six Ranch, which you've been to. So I'll have some questions about that. But <laughs> um, in, in general, are boars? Is it looked at like when you go, like if you talk to a guy that's a serious bear hunter, is it like I only shoot boars, or or are shoot is shooting sows? You know, you know how in the sheep community it's like you only shoot rams. Like, yeah, they give you tags, but like, you know, they, you know, they won't ram. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you know, guys want to shoot bucks. I mean, they're not like, hey, I shot a doe. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But is there any stigma yeah, yeah. in the bear community to shooting boars or sows? Yeah. So I would say there there is. Um, I mean, all any any of these hunt these spot and stock hunts i mean the focus is and this is universal to the areas is six foot plus boars any of the guys that have pretty big bear operations that's like the focus right now the reality is and and i've hunted you know i've hunted bears quite a bit myself but i've also i've hunted bears with guys that if you know killed hundreds of bears with with uh hunters and the reality is is that some guy there's with black bears in particular, when you get into, you know, big sows that don't have cubs in compared to, like, a decent-sized boar, sows get killed. It just happens. They're one of the hardest things to tell the sex on. So it does happen. Like, so that I would, they're, they're shooting sows, but they really are going off size, and they're trying to figure it out, but they, they, they're... They're thinking they're shooting boars, but they're actually shooting some giant sows. And is it kind of frowned upon, or is it just part of the deal? Yeah, no, I would say that it's not really it, there. It's not really frowned upon, guy. It's you know, if it's a big dry sow, a big old dry sow, nobody. I mean, it's not it's not that big of a deal. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. I I would say like you know, well, like the the one picture you're talking about. Out of those eight bears, one of them's a sow. Um, and that's kind of what you see is most guys are going to, I mean, most of it's really driven by the outfitters. Like if a guy has a good bear business and the bear component is important to him, it's just, he doesn't want to kill sows because, um, because he, you know, he, he wants to produce more bears. Right. Um, right. it doesn't matter if, you know, so that's, that's the reality I would say. It's not like a stigma. I mean, I would say, like, in the lion hunting world, there's way bigger stigma against, like, killing female like, lions, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. The bear right. deal is not like that. I mean, like, I mean, I will openly say here in Colorado, a dry sow is free game. I'd shoot it 100 yeah. times over. You know what I mean? And not feel bad about it at all. Um, you know, so I, and so I think it's, it's not that big a deal. It's generally just a size thing. Guys want to shoot big bears, and the boars tend to be big, you know, bigger bears. 
And another question I would have is, you know how a lot of times in areas um, mule deer um, does have twin fawns. It's really, really common. Some areas it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, do bears typically have, you know, multiple cubs, or is it real, un, you know, what's the most common to have, you know, two two cubs, one cub, you know, what's, what's the... What's the general yeah. rule of thumb? So what I've been told, I'll tell you what kind of like the research says and then, then what what I've seen is that, and it kind of matches up so it doesn't really matter, but um, basically if it's good habitat and light winters, you know, good hibernation um, uh, conditions, they're going to have bigger litters, right? Um, so if it's in a tougher area, you're more likely to have like, you know, one, you know, one cub. A lot of the heavily logged areas in BC, the guides will tell you it's really common to see sows with three cubs. Um, really? Which, you know, like for instance, in Colorado, I personally, seeing three cubs, I have seen it, but it's an anomaly. You know what I mean? And what's interesting to me is that even in Colorado, I see a lot more twins than I did when I was a kid. Um, and I don't know why that is, if it's habitat driven or, or what, um, but they say it's basically based on conditions and then, um, you know, the, how they, you know, how well they hiber, hibernate and actually, you know, um, bears can absorb the fetus. They, they can absorb the fetus, uh, in hibernation is <clears throat> very common if they, if they drop below a certain amount of body fat. And so, wow. And that's a, and they actually, and the other thing about bears, which is interesting, is they delay implantation. So, if they can get bred any time, let's say, I mean, most of them are going to get bred in the, you know, the last week of May through the first two weeks of June. Those really, they're going to all start gestation at the same time. Does that make sense? It doesn't matter when they're yeah. bred; they can delay the implantation because they really. Um, the gestation period really happens during hibernation, right? And the cubs are born uh, in, in, you know, during hibernation. So what happens is they go into hibernation with low, low body fat or it's just super cold, then they'll come out and they won't have cubs. What, what I know for a fact has happened in Colorado is you almost never see a sow without cubs. Uh, she's either got, they'll keep them with them, with them for like two years. So she's either going to have yearlings or she's going to have little bitty baby cubs. Very rare you see a dry sow in the last three, four years. And that's because we've had mild winters. Uh, that, you know, is, is my opinion. And then the guys in BC say the same thing, particularly north. Like a lot of the guys, Prince George and north, a lot, like once you go north of there, I mean, I've talked to guys who have had areas for, you know, their entire life. 30, 40 years, and some of they, them say, you know, 20 years ago, there were, there, black bears didn't exist there because they couldn't, they couldn't make it through winters, or at least like every three or four years, they'd have a really hard winter, and it would, it would crush that population, you know what I mean? So that's, they're, they're kind of weird that way, and I, I think probably part of the little bear, there's probably a bunch of other things going on here in Colorado, but part of the bear explosion in Colorado is really um, a long string of mild winters, right, and, and sows that are all having pairs, you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, as far as 
age class and size of bears. Speaking of Colorado, I mean, it, it, does it historically kick out some big bears, or is it never known as a state that has big bears? No, if you look through like Boone and Crockett's record books, Colorado's got some huge, some big bears, um, and it, so it's not that it's not that it doesn't produce them. I just you know there's just not that high of a percentage of the bears really get hunted here. If you really think about it, they don't get hunted seriously. You know what I mean? There's a lot of tags sold, but guys in the fall, guys, it's very rare you're going to find a guy that's dead focused on on killing big bears in Colorado. Um, yeah. So, and in Colorado, you, at, you can't use dogs. Um, you can't use dogs at all, right, for bears? Yeah, correct. So no, no dogs on bears and no bait. And then no, and no, no spring no season is the most significant, right? Gotcha. And when did uh, when did that change? When did it go where there's no spring bear hunting? How long ago? You know, I can't I can't remember the uh, the exact uh, date, uh, Jay. Unfortunately, it was when I was young. I want to say it was like okay, so it's around been twenty something years or something. Yeah, okay. it, and, and and it was a weird deal because it got. Um, when they did it, they did it all together, and then really what was kind of an unfortunate thing is part of that law when they passed it is there was no hunting before, or yeah, I think no hunting of them before Labor Day. So even now, or something like that, or like September 2nd, so even in the fall, the guys are, the, the game management community is kind of crippled a little bit because... You know, I see a lot of bears the last two weeks in August. It's one of the best times. If you're going to hunt them in the fall, it's one of the best times to actually go see them. But obviously you can't hunt them during that time because of the, because of the law. So with, you know, really, they don't, I think it's like September 2nd is when you can start hunting them. It's kind of an, unfor an additional unfortunate thing that, that went through that whole package. Gotcha. Let's talk... Um so when you were up in BC, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't um, oh the politics? Didn't they just ban grizzly bear hunting in BC? And what was the general consensus with the guys and stuff that you talked to? So yeah, so they banned it, and it was it kind of basically what happened was they had an election. You know, they have a bunch of different parties, unlike here. So it's like when you're dealing with their political system, it's a lot different because it's it's different than what we're used to here. Um, and what happened was the election went through and then two of the minority parties got together, made a majority, and then kind of overnight banned the grizzly bear hunt, right? Um, I would say that, uh, like, the guiding community and outfitting community up there and then in the, in the resident hunting community is pretty devastated by it. Um, I, and I can see why, I mean, I saw a lot of grizzlies while we were up there. They're doing, they're doing fine. Um, and they're a pain in the ass, to be honest, Jay. You know what I mean? I mean, grizzlies, what people don't understand is if you have grizzlies in your area, they, they are a pain in your butt as, as a resident hunter outfitter or whatever. Right. Um, and so it's really unfortunate when you see a pretty robust population then overnight, um, the, the deal gets banned. I think the bigger issue in BC, and it, it mirrors our issues here, is what you're really talking about 
is a certain segment of the population really has no representation, right? Um, think about, it's like the way I equate BC, it, 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 it would be like if the way the political environment there is, it's almost, it'd be equivalent to if California, the, the urban population in California ran everything from the coast of California to Oklahoma. That's how extreme the lack of representation is there in terms of, you know, an urban population basically making rules for everybody. Um, and this grizzly bear thing is like the epitome of that. I mean, you've got guys in the north of B.C. that's like as remote as it gets, and they were just told that now they can't kill a grizzly bear. Like, how insane is that? And the people who told them are the people sitting in Vancouver who have no interaction with them, have no clue what's going on biologically, and then most importantly, I there. think, yeah, they're never going to interact with them. It's not going to, it's not going to, you know, it's not like all of a sudden, you know, they're going to start having more grizzly bear viewing opportunities in Vancouver because of this, right? Because of them, it, they're banning bear hunting, you know, a 20-hour drive away to the north. You know, that, that I think is the more significant thing. And then also the people who are making this decision aren't the people that have to deal with the negative externality of grizzly bears. That's what people don't understand is, like, grizzly bears are awesome. I think they're, they're stunning to see. <clears throat> and for me, <clears throat> I haven't seen enough in my life to really, like, it's a non-event. When I see one, I think it's really cool. Um, but for the guys that see them all the time, now all of a sudden you have, an, you have a resource there that all it is is negative, Right. Um, mm -hmm. and that's, that's an unfortunate deal, and you can sense their frustration there in a pretty, a pretty significant way. I mean, the guys are like, it's kind of stunning to them, you know, that, that it's been allowed to happen, um, and I think they're, they're fearful how, how for will what's that impact, um, How will that impact those black bear areas where if you're not killing grizzlies, will the grizzlies eventually push the black bears out um, will they compete for, you know, space, and will it hurt the black bear population, or will it just move the black bear population? Yeah, so I've seen I've seen grizzlies um, on the on literally the same slides as black bears, uh, like the same snow slides. So it's not that they, but you know, it's it's not that they literally won't inhabit the same areas, um, but. <clears throat> they do seem to keep a buffer, and there's no doubt that they that the grizzlies eat black bears. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I don't think that that, in terms of like, are, are you getting at like what the economic impact will be to the outfitters and guides, or uh, well, is just, that what you're yeah, I mean, economic, economic, and just the overall, you know, biology of the thing. If you know, are grizzlies going to eat all the black bears, and you know, ten years from now, we'll be like. Yeah, there are, you know, the black bears are gone because the grizzlies ate them all. Will that, will that happen or is that a long ways out? Yeah, so I think there's some biological reasons why that would be like a really slow process. There's no doubt that the grizzlies produce much slower than the black bears. They seem to have less cubs. It's, they, they, they go more years between cubs, all of that, you know, Jay. Um, so I think I'm kind of speaking a, a little bit out of my comfort zone on my knowledge, but from what I've read, you know, they're just, they're going to be a less dense species. Um, but 
having said that, yeah, they're going to have an impact on the black bears. They're going to start competing uh, on feed sources, too. You know what I mean? Not only are they going to kill black bears, but they're going to compete for the same the same vegetation in the early spring and all of that. I think probably the bigger issue for BC is going to be on their moose, right? The grizzly bear, that's going to be really where really where the economics and the hunting opportunity for residents, outfitters, and everybody up there is really going to be the challenge with grizzlies. Um, they, you know, and they, and there's, I mean, and they, it's not that it will be, moose is going to be the most significant one because that's the, that's the hot topic in BC right now, right? You've got, like, their moose numbers are crashing and burning in a lot of areas. So when you add this deal, that's probably where, like, the management issues are going to come in, is that there's going to be an uproar by the fact that grizzlies are just killing a lot of moose calves. Um, so, and that's, that's proven. There's tons of good, there's some really good uh, academic research on how many, I mean, how hard uh, grizzlies are on moose calves. Um, so that's where you're going to see the issue there, for sure, where it's going to first pop wide open. But I don't know. I don't know that their political environment really matters. And I think I think it's. I mean, anybody that's interested in it should really uh, read into it because the U.S. situation is analogous to B.C. situation. We have the same thing in Colorado. It's the same political dynamic. You know what I mean, Jay? So they're both. What happens in one is basically going to happen in the other. That's what I'm worried about. Um, I want to take a quick. <laughs> I want to take a quick second here and thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank Go Hunt Insider. And if you're not a Go Hunt Insider, I highly encourage you to uh, go check them out at GoHunt.com. It's the best Western hunting resource out there. If you use the J Scott promo code, you're going to get a $50 Go Hunt Gear Shop gift card. You can immediately use that $50 to purchase something out of the store or put it towards a, a bigger purchase. Um, they sell all kinds of great gear on their website. Uh, being an Insider member, uh, you get all kinds of access to the, the Western states, all the different units, the draw odds, the harvest statistics, and you can find those hidden gem units. I want to thank Go Hunt Insider for their sponsorship. I also want to thank Kuyu.com, and I want to remind you guys that this Saturday, um, they're having the Mountain Academy there in Dixon, California at the Kuyu headquarters. Uh, I believe it starts around 10 a.m., and there's going to be seminars kind of throughout the day. Uh, I know Jason Harrison, the founder of Kuyu, is going to be doing uh, a uh, two seminars, actually, the first and the last. Uh, Brendan Burns, the Guide and Outfitter Program Director, is going to be doing a seminar. Paul Bride, he's a world-renowned photographer, does most of the photos for Kuyu, is going to be doing a seminar. I'm going to be doing a seminar, and Lance Kronberger from uh, Freelance Outdoor Adventures, the guy that I'm hunting doll sheep with, uh, my second doll sheep hunt this summer. That has a nice ring to it, doesn't it, Cliff? Um, <laughs> yeah. In August, I'm hunting with Lance, and uh, come on out. Uh, they're going to give, I believe, a $250 uh, gift certificate at each seminar. All you have to do is be present. Uh, to win. If you can't make it out to Dixon, um, I know there's people that are actually flying in. Um, I've had people say they're coming and what have you, so it's pretty cool. Uh, but if you if you can't make it in person, you can actually watch uh, on the Kuyu Facebook Live, um, and they're going to be broadcasting that. So I'd love to see you guys. Look me up if you're going to be out there. 
I want to thank Kuyu for their sponsorship and uh, also the Outdoorsman's 1-800-291-8065, uh, uh, the Optics Authority. If you um, use the J. Scott promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount as well as at Outdoorsman's.com. Cliff, um, I got some questions. So I've been over to the OT6. Uh, you came over last fall and ran around with Hunter and I for a couple days. Um, been running a bunch of trail cameras. We've got quite a few bears uh, over there. Um, from your perspective, I know we've talked about it on the podcast before, um, you know, bears are tough on elk. Talk a little bit about, um, you know, what you've witnessed, you know, is, is, you know, having a bunch of bears a problem for sure if you're, you know, trying to, um, you know, conserve your elk and, you know, grow older and, and bigger bulls um you know obviously if they're killing calves that's a you know a bull six years seven eight years from now that we'd want to kill um talk a little bit about the predation factor that bears you know provide on the landscape yeah so i mean it's a proven fact that once bears reach reach a certain density and then you could argue that it's a learned behavior but once they start doing it they're they have a really significant impact on both fawns and elk calves, um, and there's some super good academic papers on it. I, I yeah, I've read a lot of wildlife papers, and I have a, a fairly in-depth background in statistics. Um, probably, you know, and not to sound like an egomaniac, but my statistical background's probably better than the vast majority of wildlife biologists. Um, and so I've read through a lot of papers and really picked through the statistics, and I would say that very rarely do you find wildlife papers that would hold up to statistical rigor. It's, it's really rare, um, and that's because it's really expensive to run the studies. It's really expensive to get um, high um, sample sizes, all the statistical stuff that you need to, to draw really good caus causality. I will say that there's several bear papers on predation of bears on elk calves that hold up really um, well uh, in terms of statistical uh, rigor. And one of them is from northern New Mexico. And I, I can't remember the gal's name. Um, I have it written here. But it's a good paper, and everybody should read it. It's a huge sample size of calves and, uh, that they, they were. I'm going to get it here, Jay, because I want people to be able to, to look it up. Let me see. I can't believe I can't find it. I always keep a link here. But um, anyways, it's a good paper. You can look it up. If you, if you look, if you Google like elk predation, or excuse me, bear predation on elk calves in northern New Mexico, it'll come up. I think the gal's name is uh, Tat Tatman who did it. I think it was the maybe New Mexico State or something it was run out of. But they, I think they, I mean, if you read the paper, it's for sure a fact that once bears start doing it, they have a really significant effect on elk calves to the point where, I mean, I think one of the statistical conclusions of that paper is that basically if you, if you take an area where you haven't been hunting bears in the spring, and I think they actually used their fish and game department to do this, but one of the years of the study, they actually instituted harvest of the bears during the spring, and those calves were one and a half times likely, more likely to survive. That's wow. a massive, that's insane. 
there's really yeah. no I mean I've never seen something like that in a in a paper where that's pretty it's pretty solid statistically that that's a, probably going on right you can never know for sure but the reality is that they 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 caught enough calves that it's it's I mean if you look at the statistic it's it's pretty darn serious and then the other part of that study which is really interesting and it's kind of a I'd say it's kind of a caveat within the study and that's they collared some of these bears and they saw what they did and I mean a lot of these bears will traverse like an insane amount of distance to get to calving ground right so a bear is not going to go 150 miles across some barren landscape for no reason right He's going there. <laughs> be turned down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So once they figure like out when I head to, when I head to Dairy Queen, if they're closed, I'm breaking in because I'm I'm traveling to Dairy Queen to get my ice cream. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So they got it figured out, right? And they show up in the calving ground, you know. And I and I, I mean, I've kind of, I've observed this myself, like for the last five years they they move into our alpine with the elk when they calve it's obviously anecdotal because just me out there observing this right um and what happens is that first two weeks of life on elk calves they just they hammer them they'll just grid an area that's calving ground any anybody who watches elk um in normal conditions they'll basically they're basically going to go behind the snow until they calve because they want to calve in that nice, fresh green. That's what they do in Colorado. And, like, the last five years, I'd say, sure enough, bears are just working working that same country back during calving season. And then the bears – and then basically the bears go back low. That's what happens in Eagle and Pitkin County. You know, you're going to see an influx of bears in the high country during calving and fawning season, you know, basically now. We're getting, you know, we're in the middle of it or at the end of it, let's say. So you're going to see them in the high country, and then all of a sudden you're going to see them turn around. They're going to be back down in the bottoms, back in town, whatever else. I actually had a game warden tell me that during calf, because now, I mean, I was listening to this Vanilla podcast, and they had Bill Andre here, who's he's a local guy in my area, like the, the regional uh, uh, game warden. And he said some years they spend 50% of their time this year dealing with bears in town. I had a game warden tell me that during during a short period in calving season, all of a sudden the bears disappear and then they show back up. That's wow. like pretty, I mean, pretty obvious what they're doing. It's not like, right. you know, the garbage has changed in Aspen during that week. You know what I mean? They just go yeah. up there and kill elk calves and then come back to the garbage, you know? So it's like, a, I mean, there's no doubt it's happening. And I would say that it's acknowledged, but the challenge is, is that how, how is it going to be dealt with, you know? I mean, I don't know. I mean, how many, how many bears do you think you have on your place over there? I mean, have you been seeing, uh, identifying several individual bears? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's really hard to say. It's just going off. You know, I've just been over there a couple times checking trail cameras. I haven't actually been on, you know, foot, you know, out there looking around. But I, both times I went over there, I did see multiple sets of tracks um, driving around. And, you know, I've gotten probably, I don't know, eight or ten 
you know, photos of, of bears that are probably different bears in my mind. I'm no bear expert at all, but just kind of looking at the photos, trying to, you know, come up with characteristics and such that, you know, like, oh, yeah, that's that same sow and, you know, that, those same two cubs. And then, okay, there's the, there's one, you know. So, you know, and it's it's not a very good sampling, but it just, um, it's pretty cool, Um you know that we've oh, got they, them. Yeah, they're they're awesome. Just, they're awesome to see. They're they're a neat animal yeah. to watch. Yeah, yeah. I just want to make sure that we kind of keep them in check. And and you know that's the other thing. I don't know like the territories they run. If those bears are you know they live on the ranch all the time, or are they just in and out like you're saying? You know they're you know they're down in town and then they're up there in the calving grounds. Um, I think the next round of you know, the cameras have now been soaking for probably two and a half weeks, maybe since I've been over there last. Um, I think it'll be interesting this next series, you know, this next series of photos when I check them just to see, it, you know, if any other bears have showed up or, or what's going on. Um, but they're pretty neat. They, they, Those suckers, they get in those water troughs and they'll swim around in them. And, you know, it's just crazy to see what they do. Uh, Fortunately, they haven't messed with my cameras a whole lot, which I'm fully expecting them, you know, to just be gnawing on them and, you know, curious and pawing them off. But um, I've had had a a few of them kind of moved and then I'll get picked, like I'll, I'll catch picture of them you know, walking by, and then the next photo, you know, like, there'll be their face in the camera, and it kind of moves it around, but I have yet to have any any bears, like, yank them off a tree or, you know, completely destroy them, but, yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know, they, it's funny, yeah, it's funny you say that, because even though we have a fairly high density of them, uh, they rarely mess with my camps, you know, um, and they, you know, not like they will where they've been really habituated to people, you know, yeah. um, so it it is kind of interesting, but I'm I'm with you on it, Jay. Like I I love they're probably in my mind one of the coolest animals to watch. I mean, watching a sow with cubs um, is really awesome. I mean, they have they kind of have like some human characteristics, like how they feed and stuff, and it's kind of neat. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, they're neat. So I I yeah I love watching them, um, but that doesn't make me think they're they're some species that doesn't need to be managed. You know. Yeah, for sure. Well, you're a realist. Um, speaking of your camps, what's going on, Flat, Flat Tops Wilderness Guides? Um, I saw on your Instagram, looks like you're kind of starting to get some of the mules and, and stuff, um, making some trips and kind of getting them legged up a little bit, or what? what's going on? Yeah, so we're starting to slowly kind of get, you know, we had a, a, you know, obviously a super early um summer here so uh it's funny because i kind of timed it this year to start a little bit later because usually i can't even get into my highest camps till like july 1st or 2nd um but this year probably because i planned on starting later it's like the earliest year we could get get going so it's kind of ironic but yeah we're starting to haul horses um jimmy's up there shoeing horses actually today we're just starting to pick away at things we got trail to clear and all the stuff that um, you got to do before the season, and and then like you say, try to get a bit, a, you know, good set of your horses and mules legged up in in shape for the season. Um, so we're on that in that on that process. Um, I think I might I have like a couple openings for our archery drop camps, um, 
but to be honest, I think I think that uh, uh, my flat tops deal. It's it's uh, outfitting in general is like a really good indicator of the economy. I think because um, I've got all sorts of different types of client type of clients across the economic tiers, and everybody seems to have you know more confidence and more disposable income. So pretty darn everything's booked up early and all that. Uh, well, like the Canadians say, whenever you run into a Canadian nowadays, they say, hey, are you riding the Trump train? And I assume that's what I am doing. You know, but uh, so it's, it's all good on that. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll be busy. Yeah, they always say, oh, yeah, are you guys riding the, the Trump train? I mean, what people don't realize is that most most rural Canadians either hunting guys really in the hunting business or resource oriented guys. I mean, they they love Donald Trump. It's all they want to talk about. Uh, it's kind of an interesting <laughs> phenomenon. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, are you riding the Trump train? <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the title of this this episode. Um, <laughs> speaking of moisture, um, snow. I mean, man, I haven't, I mean, the Roaring Fork, I mean, it's been fishable now for a month. I mean, the green drakes usually are around July 1st. I mean, they've been hatching now down on the Colorado and moving up the Roaring Fork, you know, for the last week. It's the earliest I can remember. Um, I, I went over and floated the Gunnison. Like, it's, they're not even letting water out of that. I mean, they're, they're, they're looks like they're trying to retain all the water they got up there. Um, man, it's dry. What what kind of conditions are you got up on the hill? So everything just seems feels like a month before, right? It feels like right now, every, all the vegetation, everything. Yeah, everything looks yeah. like a month early, right? Looks like it's the end of July right now. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been are, seeing columbines, um, you know, at nine thousand, ninety five hundred feet. I mean, blooming like crazy, and man, it seems like columbines typically don't really get going till like right around that last week of June. It just seems like everything's way early this year. Yep. Yeah, I would I would reiterate the same thing, and and I think what would happen. It was it was nice that I was driving back uh, a couple nights ago. It was nice to see that we were getting some precipitation, but I think that whatever happens here in the next month is going to be really relevant in terms of how bad it's actually going to be. It's obviously going to be bad. It's going to be dry. There's going to be water problems, like in terms of an, you know, a water rights kind of spectrum. I don't know how it'll, you know, you you know better than on the, better than I do on the fishing, you know, Jay, but our, my, like in terms of the hunting, um, for me, you know, we're blessed with an area that has a lot of water, so I'm not really, it, it doesn't seem to me that we have really big differences in, like, antler growth and stuff like that in, in dry years. Yeah. I think the biggest factor for us and the, the whole area is just what the fire situation is going to be, right, um, which yeah. is an uncontrollable thing at this point for us. So um, that's probably my biggest concern, you know, what, how that's going to pan out. Yeah, I mean, I've been hearing and doing a little bit of research. They're saying a, a wetter than normal monsoon, um, you know, and wetter, you know, wetter forecasted for for the upcoming months, which is great. The challenge is it's so dry, and I mean, all my listeners from Arizona, New Mexico, like Nevada, Utah, like I mean, 
as soon as those monsoons kick up and we start getting a lot of those lightning strikes, that's when it's scary. Um, hopefully yeah. we'll get a bunch of rain and a few storms and, you know, at least wet it up a little bit. But that lightning yeah, no, it, is it, some scary it's stuff. Funny you, yeah, it's funny you say that because that's like my exact feeling. On it. Everyone's like, oh, well, monsoon season's supposed to be early. And it's like, well... You know, we all know what comes with that, and that's exactly yeah. what you're getting at. If it's already burn up, burn up and dry, uh, that's it's great to get some water. It'll get a little feed going again, but you know, lightning comes with it. You know, yeah, and that's that's the the scary component of that. But you know, I don't know. I mean, there's a you know, that's another thing about Eagle and Pitkin County and Garfield County that a lot of people will say, you know, on the elk front and the deer front. You know, we probably need some big fires, but that's that's easy to say. You know, um, right. but it's still scary. Yeah, yeah, but. for sure. Um, tell me about this long range shooting. So you're traveling all around. I can't even keep up with you. And then you get home for a few days, and then you're doing a long range shooting school. What'd you learn? Yeah. So. Uh, um, I uh, I wouldn't say I'm an expert long range shooter shooter, but I've had a lot of interest, particularly on like the sheep and goat hunts that I guide. That there become there's becoming a more and more uh, interest in that. So I've you know I've worked with some guys, chatted with some guys about trying to bring some hunters to their schools. So this last week I went to Ward Bryan's Bryan's school down there in near Anamona, Utah. Uh, I spent three days there. Uh, and I learned a lot, Jay, and particularly coming from, you know, probably not a not a real in-depth uh, knowledge uh, standard on, on that front. You know, um, I guide a lot, but I don't do a lot of shooting myself, admittedly. So it's something I've been trying to build up on just so I can help my hunters more and understand their equipment, understand what they need from a guide in terms of the long-range stuff. So it helped me get up to par on that. I think, you know, he has a unique, the thing for me, what's interesting on the long range thing is I've always hunt, primarily hunted in the mountains, and I, my only complaint about the long range thing in general is that if guys are going to plan on shooting long range, and let's say, I mean, in my view, that's 500 yards and above, or 450 and above, like that, to me, that's pretty extreme long range when you're talking about actually shooting at animals. Um, if you're going to pursue that, you really need to have some knowledge about how, how effective you really are in the mountains. Um, and one thing about what kind of got me interested in doing Ward's class is that his range is in the mountains. And it's in that part of Utah where it's always windy as all get out. And it's a lot of different wind, type of winds. And I'll tell you, man, if a guy has done a lot of long-range shooting on like a flat, area with one consistent wind it's my opinion is that even if you're holding tight groups at eight or nine hundred yards it's almost irrelevant to mountain hunting you really need to get some exposure to actually shooting angles shooting in like really tough winds if anything to just be humbled by it because i am um i mean when you get to those those long distances you know, miss miss calls on wind. You can you can miss targets by three four feet pretty easily. You know, so I think that's probably the part of it, at least for me, 
uh, has been knowledge building is that like the mountain environment, it's uh, it makes long range shooting a whole different game. You know what I mean? Have have you had much exposure to it, Jay, or do you do it yourself? I really haven't. Um, you know, darn, I used to shoot. This goes back like 15, 20 years. We used to shoot quite a bit, and um, it's just you know. It's just something that I'm really not that into. Um, and kind of like, you know, I've got these two doll sheep hunts um, coming up, and I wish I was probably more apt than I am and, you know, better at it than, than I am. Um, but it's almost one of those things, like, the more you know, sometimes it just cracks your confidence because you're like holy smokes how do i even hit the target like it's just crazy when you have you know multiple different wind directions and 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 then you like you're saying you throw in angles there um it's like how do we ever hit anything you know and where we used to just be like okay yeah aim a little left because you got you know wind coming from left to right and yeah, just to think that we we've hit anything in our hunting career is sometimes mind-boggling to me. Um, yeah, but it's I mean, definitely something I'd like to learn more about. Um, for me, it's always just been a time I just need to set time aside and go go to some of these schools and learn more because I do love to learn um, for sure. Yeah, and, and if that's I was the thing doing more it. personal hunts, if I was doing more personal hunts, you know, I'd probably be way more into it than you know. I'm just doing so, you know, I've been doing so much guiding over the last, you know, 15 years that it's uh, um, probably something that I've, that I've needed to do and I just haven't done it. Yeah, no, I hear you, and, I, and I'm kind of in the same boat, but yeah, I'm the same thing, like, I love learning about it because it's a new thing. Um, I do think that, like, a lot of that, I mean, one thing, there's a, there seems to be a ton of good schools now, and it seems like, I think that, even if guys aren't going to shoot above 500 yards ever, like having that knowledge base, it probably makes you significantly more proficient at the at the standard yards yardage, right? You know, 150 yeah. to 400 yards probably make. It, I you would know, tell you some guys. Efficient. Um, some guys from Oregon came down and Peaster hunted uh, with us. It was actually the group that uh, Sean shot that big giant buck, um, and they're they're, um, I, I don't want to say disciples, but they're, you know, followers, followers of that um, Bob Beck. And um, they, they were, I mean, during the day, what they wanted to do was shoot rocks at, you know, 7, 8, 9, 1,000, 1,200, you know, 1,300 yards and, you know, pick rocks out and they, you know, do all their stuff. And they, they liked that almost as much as they enjoyed the hunt. I mean, they loved shooting oh, yeah, during sure. the middle of the day. And just shot and shot and shot and just had a ball. Um, and it yeah, was, and that's it was like, kind of interesting. Well, yeah, and I think that's how. What and I didn't, you know, like I've always I grew up around the mentality, and then a lot of my, you know, guiding crew was like this too. Like you sight your gun in, and then you go hunting. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of it. I I think that one thing nice about the long range thing for at, at least for me is it's got me shooting my gun a lot more. And doing like what yeah. what you're talking about, like shooting at rocks, and then like you know guessing on what the wind's going to be, what it's going to affect, and then shoot at a rock, and re and realize like get immediate feedback. I called it right, I called it wrong, or whatever. Um, yeah. And for me, that's been you know, uh, it's 
it's it's helped my just overall marksmanship. I'm sure quite a bit. Um, you know, I, it's it's a tough. One. It's kind of. I mean, you know, there's still a fair amount of controversy around it, and I can see both both sides of thing things. But you know, it's it it is it is what it is. It, it just the, in the mountain environment. I still being around some really good long range guys. I think anytime somebody's getting into that 800 yard kind of range and above, it's pretty tough to say that you're going to be proficient on your first okay. shot until until you got the wind right, you know. I think the one thing the long range, you know, kind of push has done is it's gotten people shooting their guns more. I think you make a yeah, great point. Exactly. Of, you know, you know, even if you're only shooting at 250 yards, but you've been out shooting eight, nine hundred, a thousand, and you've been shooting your gun more, you know, it's just you're going to be better. Um, I mean, it's most of the time the more you shoot your gun and the more proficient you are and the more you're, you know, comfortable with it, um, you know, you're going to you're going to shoot way better at two, three hundred yards, which, you know, most shots on hunts are, you know, two, three, maybe out to four hundred yards. But that three, three fifty range. And, you know, like anything else, um, you know, if you're shooting your bow at 100, 100 yards and it, it, and you do that enough, when you get to 40 and 50 yards, it almost seems close. It almost seems like a chip shot and makes it easier. So that's all oh, good. Yeah. I saw yeah, that no, on I your Instagram. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with what you just said. That's kind of my takeaway from doing it, you know. Um, so they're they're fine. I mean, I think everybody should do one of those courses. They're they're pretty pretty awesome and pretty telling. You know, it, like it, it. You know, the other thing you said, Jay, which I think is spot on, is that they you you all of a sudden you get knowledge about things that you don't know about, and that's really like eye opening. You know. Yeah. Um. You you know what's a lot. Uh, you know what it reminds me a lot about was like I uh, like for my goat hunting. Um. I had lost a goat with a hunter um, in in the rocks. I just couldn't. It was kind of a marginal shot was made, and the goat traveled a whole lot of distance, and he got into a situation where there's just I couldn't get him. It was kind of devastating to me. So I I had gone out and decided that I'd get really proficient at rappelling and ropes and that sort of thing. And immediately once I started going down that road, I was immediately realized that I should have been dead already probably five or six times. <laughs> um, you know, just because, that's humbling, like, you, isn't it? yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you immediately realize like all the stuff you didn't know, um, and it kind of opens your eyes. Yeah. Speaking of but, goat hunts, sheep hunts, um, and then I'll let you go. Um, do you have a nice slate? I know you just love those goat hunts. Do you have some goat hunts um, lined up for this fall? Yeah, I've got. I think I personally I got three goat hunts and then I got two sheep hunts, which is great, including one in one in my home unit. So that'll be fun. Um, no, nice. I think I'm kind of I'm think I'm kind of kind of tapped out. Jimmy Jimmy's got I think I got Jimmy doing one goat hunt and then he's kind of looking for one more at the end of the end of September. So we'll have a fair share of them. We'll be out chasing them around. You know, you've got to be excited for yours, huh? I am. I'm Your excited. I you hunt. know um, I'm. In uh, training. Oh, did you do the Leadville 100? You know, or I didn't Leadville because 50? I. Yeah, so I was invited to that shoot. No, so I was invited to that shooting class, so we postponed it. We're going to do the Aspen one uh, next month. The Aspen like, one. Oh, my goodness. What a savage. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I, the Leadville I, one I is the, it's the hardest one, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's more difficult just because the elevation grade, but just the dates we got jammed up on dates. But I see you've been doing a fair amount of running, huh? Not running, but hiking and hiking. And, um, I had had a a local friend here that listens to the podcast that I ate lunch with over here, and he's like, "Hey, let me know. I want to come work out with you." And I said, "Nope, no locals allowed." And he just started laughing. I said, "I'm not about <laughs> to take you local that lives here all year long and." take you hiking at all no thanks and he was giving me a hard time but um yeah i'm just uh you know the the thing that always we talk about humbling you start adding weight to your pack going up and down and it makes a huge difference i mean i've been yeah i mean it's just uh like today i'm just going i found a couple ski runs that are pretty steep. I mean, I think they're double black diamonds and they're long and, yeah. um, you know, like two and a half miles up and it's just solid scree and rock. And so I've been with my pack on trekking poles, like trying to stimulate that, you know, sheep hunting, what I think it's going to be like there. And, you know, yeah. you get, well, I got halfway up today and I'm just going and going and going and I finally just stopped and I'm looking around and I'm going, I, I ain't ready. Like, I'm glad the hunt ain't starting tomorrow because, you know, <laughs> so I'm just going to keep plugging away at it. Um, but I don't yeah, know keep... if it's ever a thing that you ever are going to be like, okay, I'm ready because, you know, I know the Northwest Territories, I mean, my Chugach hunt, from what I hear, is going to be just brutal, tough country compared to the NWT. But, right. you know, I mean, I'll be ready regardless. But I, I think it's one of those things that I just – I don't ever think there's like, oh, yeah, I'm in great shape. Like, I'm ready to, like, the mountain always humbles you, period. Like, Oh, yeah, that. for sure. Well, and you're, and you're lucky because you're probably in one of the, you live, I mean, you're living in one of the best areas ever to train for that sort of thing, so that's pretty awesome. I I caught your, uh, oh, your podcast with, I can't remember who it was, but with guys that had been up there to the NWD, one of your recent ones. Oh, yeah, you know? Brian Rimsley. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was interesting to hear how, how they prepared. You know, it was really, it was interesting. I almost was, like, talking to I was listening to my, my, I was listening to the podcast in my truck when I was driving, and I almost was, like, speaking out loud when you guys got on the, the hiking downhill with your knees, because I have, like, really, I have horrendous knees. I, like, I had an MRI, uh, M, uh, what do you call it, uh, what do you, you know, where they look at them. Um, an MRI. Oh, MRI. Yeah. MRI. Look at it. Yeah, MRI. That's right. And the doctor told me that I had the knees of a 65-year-old, and uh, I uh, I just You're had to laugh. You're still in your 30. <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. But I I had to laugh because like there is no way, and I'm not trying to to um to like go against the guys that were on your thing, but there's no way I can train with weight going downhill. It's just like. Yeah. You know, it just creates it would that's like a guaranteed way for me to be hurt before a hunt like that. Um Yeah. You know, but I yeah, understand for sure. and I, so, Yeah. Go ahead. I think he's trying to say to just simulate the conditions. He's also in his thirties as well and you know, I'm forty five and um I've gotta just really watch it. So like the last couple of days so I've gone up those free fields and down those free fields, but I just go extra slow going down, 
and I really just try and focus on every step, making good thought. Like I'm not on a race. I'm not, and that's why when yeah. my buddy's like, "Hey, I'll go with you," it's like, "No, nah, I'm just doing it." Um, I just I I want to do it my own speed because I'm competitive, and I know how you know. Like I'll want to be like, "Well, let's just you know, let's go, let's go." You know, I I want to just make sure that I, you know, just do my thing, and you know, I keep telling myself, "Listen." You go up there, more than likely the guide's going to be in better shape than you. It's not a race. You know, you just go and keep one foot in front of the other and keep going. The reality is you just got to be able to go for, you know, 10 days in a row. And um, I'm excited to look at a bunch of sheep. I've never even seen a doll sheep. And uh, to think that, you know, here in a couple months I could potentially um, have harvested two of them is uh, mind-boggling. <laughs> guys, guys are like, Oh man, you know, what do you what do you expect? What do you want? I'm like, you know, honestly, and people that know me pretty well, you know, they 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 know. I I, I honestly don't even care if I even get one on either hunt. I just want to go. I want to see rams. I want to be able to look at them. I love studying and and you know field judging, and I just want to take in the whole experience. And um, uh, I'm not just going to shoot a a ram on the first day. Uh, I mean, if it's a big one, I'll yeah. shoot it. But I, I want to go and get a couple nice rams, and I don't have to kill one. And it's always nice, I think, um, and it's how I've been for quite a while. Like, if, if, if killing something is, like, the ultimate goal and that's going to define the success of the hunt, to me, it's so, it makes the hunt so much better if you're like, eh, I, I mean, like I went on the goat hunt last year and we only saw one mature billy. It's fine. It, it You know, guys are like, oh, are you disappointed? I'm like, no. It was, I mean, I don't really care. I don't, you know, if I'm yeah. going to shoot one, I want it to be a nice one. You know, if it's, if it's a nice one. Sure. Um, well, and I think, you know, an I, think that, and, and, I think on these type of hunts, like it mitigate because on these type of hunts, you're going to have some, like logistical issue at some point there's no oh, yeah. there's just no doubt right so it makes yeah. like those those situations like a lot less like like ruining the hunt type of thing or inducing all this anxiety or whatever so i think it's yeah. like obviously you're going to hunt hard and try to find biggest ram you can but that attitude is a whole lot i i, I get it it makes a lot of sense and it, you get a lot well, more i just attitude. learned it makes those hunts go, it just makes them much more enjoyable when you know it's like i want to see grizzly bears i want to see mountain caribou i want to see whatever's up there and just enjoy it and um honestly if i went didn't kill a ram on either hunt it's fine people are like oh that's a lot of money like I, I don't even look at it like that like it's you know totally new yeah. to me and uh yeah it's exciting i'm i'm pumped so yeah arctic uh, red I've, that arctic red trip that's on that's on my bucket list for sure you know after, particularly after spending some time with ben storek you know he's guided up there for a long time it's like yeah that's that that that'll be an awesome trip. I got I got to do it at some point, and you you should get him on the podcast too. I think I don't I don't think you're gonna yeah. find another guy that has quite the the you know just a lot of experience there. And plus, he's a good guy, you know. Yeah, for sure. Well, buddy, it's always great having you on. Um, Want to encourage the listeners to check you out. Uh, where can they find you, Cliff? Yeah, so like you said, my Instagram is Cliff. G R Y C L I F F G R Y. That's probably your best bet to keep uh, keep up to date. 
and then all my also all my Canadian stuff, Audad hunts, all the stuff that's not the Colorado hunts that I do here. I'm starting to do those all under kind of a new little business I spun off called True Hunts. So truehunts.com, you can find all the info on those, and then ftguides.com is all my Colorado stuff. But, uh, but yeah, no, like always, I always enjoy interacting with your listeners. I just a couple of days ago, I was – actually, you know, I got the funniest – I got to say this one last thing because it just cracks me up, Jay. <laughs> I got a message from a guy, super nice guy. He said, Cliff, during podcasts, you always say – quote, I don't want to get too political, and then quote, he's like, next podcast, it is, and then he said, next podcast, I want you to get political, because I'm interested in what you have to say, so I said, I'll, I'll work on that, but, uh, but anyways, no, you, no, your guys are always, it's always fun talking to your listeners, so, you know what your listeners are, your listeners are, um, uh, they're always, like, they're learners, so I think that's cool, you know what I mean, that's yeah. kind of one of the one of the flavors of, of your, you know, one of the things of your podcast that, yeah, for sure, when you when your guys call me, this guy's just look, you know, not looking for information or anything like that. They're more just like, just have a genuine in, interest Spoken in a lot it. of the stuff. Yeah. yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. Well, my wife would argue anybody that will sit and listen to me for an hour has is, is definitely got issues. So you listeners out there, <laughs> I guess you got issues because my wife says, uh, my wife says so. So, um, Cliff. <laughs> I appreciate it, and uh, to the listeners, I appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, Cliff, until next time, God bless. If I don't talk to you or you, you and Amy run that Aspen race, uh, have fun and be safe. And um, I leave July 12th, so uh, I'll, I'll deal, man. have good, a whole slug of, pictures and, slug of pictures and videos and all kinds of stuff um, of some doll sheep, some mountain caribou, maybe even a grizzly or two, so. Um, awesome. All right, buddy. Good I'll luck, catch man. You later. Stay safe. Bye. All right.